Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Good morning, or whatever time it is you're listening to this. Today we will finish old comedy with the final surviving work of Aristophanes. Plutus, or Wealth, is the last of Aristophanes' plays to be performed in his lifetime. It premiered in 388 BCE, which puts it after the end of the Peloponnesian War. And it's it's very different than the other plays we've read, probably due in large part to the time in which it was written. We've seen that Aristophanes was very inspired by the war, and so a lot of his source material, if you will, has disappeared. Plus, he was getting old. And we've seen in Sophocles how age can change a playwright's material. I checked out a 2016 copy of this on Hoopla instead of getting the text from Project Gutenberg that that I've used in the past, but the translator is not credited. Um, Given the nature of the translation, I'm guessing it's Oscar Wilde and that this is just a copy from one play of the 11 comedies that may be the work of Wilde. And um, this wound up being exactly, therefore, the same translation that I'd been using from Project Gutenberg in the first place. Um, On a side note, this is complete tangent, but it made me laugh. I read a Goodreads review of the Staging Women book I used for the three women comedies, and that reader said she couldn't finish it because the translation was just too modern. In particular, she was disturbed by the use of the word sex in Lysistrata and preferred how older translators just called it loving, and I just, I have a hard time. (laughs) That just makes me laugh, that, that, Oh, yeah, the women, with, with they withheld their loving from, from the men. And like, no, oh, honey, oh, bless your heart. Um, anyway, <laughs> given the lack of a certain um, forking word in the translation of Plutus that I am using, it is <laughs> definitely not a modern translation. Um, so, uh, yeah, Aristophanes goes blue on a regular basis, and modern translators don't shy away from his four-letter words. Um, that woman on Goodreads would probably like this anonymous translation. So, yeah, it, it is it is definitely an old translation that I was working from. Um, the play is set near Athens and has the sort of cast we frequently see in Aristophanes. The protagonist is a man named Kremelis. Um, he has a servant um, that I've seen as Cario in some translations and Carion um, with an N at the end um, in others. Uh, he has a friend named uh, Blepsidemus and a wife named... Well, his wife, she doesn't actually have a name. Uh, Plutus is the god of wealth and, wealth, and we also see his counterpart poverty. On the gods front, we also see Hermes, and the rest of the characters are named by their roles, man, woman, youth, priest, so I won't list all of them here. And the homogenous chorus is made up of rustics or farmers, depending, again, on your translation. We'll take a short break here and come back for the summary. play opens on a road outside of Athens. Cario and Kremelis enter following a blind beggar. Cario comments about how they have come from the oracle at Delphi and complains about how Kremelis is now insisting that they follow this beggar. Kremelis explains that it simply um, isn't fair that good men remain poor while the sacrilegious informers and politicians all get rich. 
Sound familiar? Yeah, it isn't really an answer to the question. But Kremlis does go on to explain that the oracle told him that he should follow the first person he sees on his way out of the temple, and the blind beggar is the first person he saw. Cario berates his master for taking the oracle's words so literally, but Kremlis insists that the oracle's message was clear. Cario decides he doesn't want to wait and asks the beggar who he is. At first, the beggar doesn't want to talk, but he eventually admits that he is none other than Plutus, the god of wealth. Um, You see, when he was young, he would only bless those who were good, kind, modest, wise, you know the type. But Zeus didn't think it was fair for wealth to only come to those who were good, kind, and so on. So he blinded the god so that he wouldn't be able to tell the difference between those who were worthy of his blessing and those who weren't. Kremlis points out that the only ones who worship Plutus are those who are good, kind, and so on, and he tells Plutus that he will help restore his eyesight. Plutus isn't convinced that this is a good idea. I mean, Zeus can be pretty mean if he doesn't get his way. Kremlis and Cario explain that Plutus is really the most powerful of the gods. People can't sacrifice to the other gods if they don't have wealth. If Plutus chose to, he could stop all sacrifices. And if anything, Zeus should fear Plutus, not the other way around. Plutus reluctantly agrees to help Kremlis, and Kremlis immediately sends Cario off to bring all of his friends and neighbors so that they too can enjoy the riches Plutus will bring them. The chorus and Blepsidemus enter. Blepsidemus is skeptical at the news of Kremlis's newfound wealth. Uh, Kremlis explains that all will go well if they are able to carry out his plan of restoring Plutus's eyesight. Before they are able to leave for the Temple of Asclepius, an old woman enters and introduces herself as poverty. She lays out the case for why she, not Plutus, is the most important god. After all, hasn't she always been with them? And think about it, without her, who will do all the hard labor? the building, the laundry, the harvesting. No one with wealth will want to do any of that work. Blepsidemus and Kremlis scoff, and she exits, telling them that they'll regret their decision to heal Plutus's blindness. The two men exit as well, and the chorus sings a song that has gone missing. Um, <laughs> it's similar to what we saw happening in Ecclesiastes. The next scene starts the following morning. Cario leads the chorus in a song of praise for Asclepius and how he has healed Plutus. Kremlis's wife enters and asks what the noise is all about. Cario explains how the rites at the temple had worked and how when Plutus awoke after sleeping in the temple all night, he was able to see. Plutus enters and it's all rather Jesus Christ superstar. Uh, He apologizes for his actions when he was blind and Kremlis tries to keep him from being overwhelmed by the crowd. Kremlis's wife offers guest gifts, but Plutus refuses, thanking her for her family's kindness and stating that it is his place to give, not get. He decides to set up his temple in their house. The following scene consists of people coming to speak to Plutus, some good and therefore now wealthy, and some not so good and therefore now destitute. One lengthy section includes an old woman and her lover, well, at least according to her. She was once rich, and the young man did everything she asked of him, but now that she's poor, he no longer loves her. Hermes enters. He tells Cario that Zeus is upset, which of course is exactly what Plutus had anticipated would happen. And... As Kremlis had told Plutus, people have stopped sacrificing to the Olympians, and the gods are not happy. 
Karyu explains that now that Plutus can see again, no one needs any of the other gods, including Hermes. And Hermes takes up an offer of uh, he, Hermes offers to take up honest work for the mortal humans and exits to do so. Um, a priest of Zeus then enters and a similar conversation takes place. Um, ultimately, he decides to stop being a priest of Zeus and to come and be a priest for Plutus instead. And so he takes up his place at Cromulus's house. Ultimately, the decision is made to move Plutus's temple into the temple of Athena, and the play ends with a procession to do so. And if you feel like that last section is really rushed, in the play it is too. It's just this boom, 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 boom. Oh, suddenly we're going to move to the temple of Athena, and the play ends. Um, so we'll take a short break here and come back to talk a little bit more about it in detail. I called this the last of the old comedies, but we have seen an evolution throughout Aristophanes' career, and the structure of this play is very different than what we saw way back when we read the Acarnians, um, that formal um, prologue, parados, agon, parabasis, uh, that that structure, it does, we don't see it anymore in, in plays. So Plutus um, fits into a spot that's somewhere between old comedy and, and new comedy. Um, and, and so sometimes it's uh, categorized as middle comedy. Um, now, it's hard to say exactly what middle comedy looks like because we have one play from that period and it is, it is Plutus. So whether it really is middle comedy um, it's definitely transitional between really, really formal old comedy and the um, tropes that we will see um, new comedy in um, our final Greek comedy episode. Um, and we will definitely see um, was really, really prominent in Roman comedy. Um, like we saw in Ecclesia Zuse, some of the choral parts are missing from this play. Um, there, there are a, at least one whole song um, that there's a spot where it should be, but there, there's no song available for that spot. And, and as I mentioned um, before the break, that, that last section is really rushed. I mean, it... It honestly, it probably does work really well on stage because it just it, it keeps the punches coming and it's one one humorous spot after another. But but it just it just feels really rushed and it ends and it just the play just suddenly ends. I mean, it suddenly it's over. Um, but maybe this is because we are missing some of those choral pieces. Maybe there was supposed to be a little bit more song and dance in there that um, that we no longer have. Um, anyway, the, the title character of this play is Plutus, obviously. Um, and, um, when we did Frogs, um, you may remember me talking about the name of Pluto for Hades and how I had to do a little research because I thought that that was just the Latin name for the Latin Roman name for, for Hades. Um, and... And I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a weird translation thing that Pluto's used in frogs um, instead of Hades. Um, 
and and what I found was that oh no it actually was a Greek name as well um you've probably noticed that Pluto and Plutus sound a lot alike and in some traditions those two gods have been conflated um if you've read Rick Riordan's Heroes of Olympus series um the follow-up series to the Percy Jackson series um you should remember that one of the children of Hades controls the wealth that comes from underground. And this is why it's this conflation of these two gods. Um, Plutus, the god of wealth, over time became conflated with Pluto, the god of the underworld, because so much wealth comes from underground. We mine for gold and silver and gems. They, they're, they're underground, which is where Hades is, right? Hades is an underworld. So, so Hades and Plutus are two different gods, but um, but if you, and I remember reading the Heroes of Olympus and going, I don't get why this kid of Hades brings gems out of the ground. That doesn't make any sense. This is why um, we have two different gods, but they got conflated. And so if you were confused by this, well, now you know. <laughs> um, but now on to the two parts of the play that I, I really did want to, to focus on um, as far as analysis is concerned. Uh, first is uh, poverty. Um, as a character, as a personification, um, she makes some interesting points. Uh, where will you sleep without her? You won't have a bed because no one will be willing to make one. And what will you wear? No one will be ma- willing to make cloth. Um and we do we do sort we see this today particularly in agriculture um where i live there are a lot of migrant laborers in the summer who come to to um work the harvest um and we know they have they live in extreme poverty um and and if they weren't so extremely poor would they be willing to work in the conditions that are provided to them? And then, of course, we get into the whole issue of how much food would cost if we paid them a living wage. Um, and and so if they don't harvest the crops, who will? If we, if we didn't have, if poverty didn't exist. And so it's everything poverty says is still true today. And I'm not... I'm not saying that poverty and destitution are good things. They're they're not. Um, but it does show that today, just like in ancient Greece, the, the system is out of whack where the wealth lies. Um, and some of her examples also stand out to me because she presumes that no one would choose to do, uh, to do these things. Like there would be no beds, but... My grandpa really liked woodworking. He he didn't make his living doing it. He worked for Ford, you know, designing cars and making models and stuff. It, but but he also made beautiful furniture because he enjoyed doing it. Um, so to say that that just because pe- that the only people who would be willing to do this sort of work are, are people, you know, who who have no money. Same same thing with clothes. I like sewing. I'd be happy to sew if I had the money and time to do so. And so the, today it's kind of the reverse that we, in order to be able to sew your own clothes, you kind of actually need to have have wealth. Um, but obviously, you know, back when everything had to be handmade, it was different. Um, so it, it, there's I I. The, so that section section is just interesting, and and I I'd love to hear your thoughts on 
poverty then and poverty today and what poverty has to say in this play and um and how much of it still holds still holds true today um yeah I'd love to hear your thoughts on that Uh, the second part I really wanted to look at is um the scene with the old woman and it it really is kind of funny I mean it's it, it is it reads so modern sitcom. <laughs> the, I mean, it just, it, it, I, it was very easy for me to visualize that scene as I read it. Um, it's fun, sort of, it's not, I mean, it's not funny. Mostly it's kind of sad. Um, and here's why. There is nothing specifically stated about the old woman that makes sense for her to no longer be rich. There is nothing that says that she is a bad person, um, other than perhaps, in, you know, she's a woman and therefore she, it, I don't know. Um, but there's there's nothing that says that she's not a good woman. Um, so if she is now poor, then the young man should be poor too. Because it's not like he was exactly a good person when she was rich. Um it's very clear that he was only using her for her money and the reason he was willing to do whatever she asked of him was that he knew she was going to to give him gifts and wealth and she was going to share and maybe that's maybe that's why she's poor now because she was only willing to to share in exchange for what he was willing to give to her and it, it was all quid pro quo um but 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 he the young man's not not a good person either I mean so who really was the bad person in that relationship or I that I that scene it's it's complicated because because it is so hard to say whether either of them are worthy of of Plutus's blessing or poverty's blessing if we can call it a blessing um and one last thing I do want to point out is that um, the play ends with a procession to install Plutus in the formal temp- the former temple of Athena. Um, and you'll recall that we are in Athens, and so therefore they're going to the temple of Athena in Athens, which would be the Parthenon. And uh, yeah, what do you think about that? And yes, that is a discussion prompt over at the blog. Um, I was curious to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, the link, as always, is in the show notes. On Wednesday, we'll cover book 17 of the Iliad and see how things are going now that Patroclus is dead. Um, talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.